Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Lockdown Cavaliers. As always, I'm your host, Chris Manning, from Fear the Sword and Hardwood Paroxysm. And today, I'm joined by the manager of Fear the Sword. It's David Zavok. David, how's it going? Hey, good. How are you? I'm doing good. Uh, It's good to have you back on the show. And we're going to talk about a guy you've written about a lot uh, as part of our preview series this week. Uh, Last week, as you listeners probably know, we did crossover episodes with Lockdown Hawks, Lockdown Knicks, a bunch of other shows. This week, we're going to do some position previews for the Cavs. Uh, Training camp, thank God, is about a week away. And it's time to start really breaking on the basketball team. It's not really fully constructed yet because of a certain... A guy who doesn't wear a shirt that often that hasn't signed yet, Uh, so the team's still under construction technically, but it seems like he's going to come back, and we'll get to that tomorrow when we preview the shooting guards, but uh, we're going to start this off with the one spot, the point guards. Um, Obviously, the depth chart is pretty set at the moment. You have Kyrie Irving as the starter, Uh, and then you have Mo Williams, who right now is still on the roster and would probably be the day one backup, but then you have Kay Felder. Uh, the guy, uh, the guy the Cavs got in the second round, paid to get him, and they seem pretty high on him. So uh, we'll start with Kyrie David. Uh, he has had a very interesting year, uh, I would say. I mean, he had a very rough last year just because he was working himself back into shape. He hits the biggest shot, in Ca- maybe in Cavs history, probably in Cavs history, to win the finals. And then he's... Didn't play great in Rio. I thought he was fine. He wasn't overwhelmingly good or anything like that. Um, but where, where do you think Kyrie stands as he heads into this next season? Um, I think it's interesting to answer that question, to sort of start by what happens if the Cavs don't win the title, right? Um, because if that happens, if the Cavs come up short, um, it wasn't going to be because LeBron came up short. Although if you look at, uh, the games the Cavs did lose in the finals, um, LeBron's turnovers were, were kind of a story that, that luckily we all get to forget about. But, um, you know, I, I think it was pretty clear that Kyrie was set up to be the fall guy had the Cavs lost. Um, that would have been after a, um, you know, by his standard, substandard uh, regular season campaign while he came back from the knee injury. Um and it would have been a really, it would have been a more interesting um, place to, to, to see Kyrie come into the year in terms of, um, you know, would he be pressing? Would he be sort of trying to take the league by storm? Would he be trying to get back to the All-Star game, which he didn't, you know, wasn't voted to last year? Um, that being said, he did that. Um, he got all of the validation that you would think that he needs or should should need. Um, and, you know, he did say pretty much a, a, during the sort of title euphoria, 
you know, they were they asked him about going and playing for Team USA, and he was like, you know, I don't know what kind of shape I'll be in when I, you know, show up to camp, but I know they'll let me work into it. Um, so, you know, his approach to last season, which did not involve him taking the regular season very seriously, um, was validated. Um, so, you know, I, I think I would have sort of, you know, predicted sort of a gangbusters, you know, take no prisoners, you know, return, you know, that all NBA form that he had two seasons ago. Um, but I don't know how much he'll care. Um, and I, I think that's kind of the most, in terms of what kind of regular season team the Cavs are, I think that's the most interesting question because, um, if he decides that he wants to sort of continue um, the upward trajectory defensively that he showed in the finals, if he, um, you know, if he gets back to a you know a really efficient style of play, um, you know, he can be an All NBA type player. We've seen it. You know, he doesn't have to to show it. I mean, he's shown that he can do it. Um, that being said, if he is sort of a matador on defense, sometimes. I'm not going to freak out. No, uh, I think I think the defensive thing and just his overall sort of style, I think, is sort of where I think he gets the most criticism. And I, I don't think that should come as a surprise to anyone that has followed the Cavs as a Cavs fan and then reads about and hears people talk about Kyrie. Um, I think as people who cover the Cavs and, you know, write about the Cavs more than any other team, I think we do sort of look at Kyrie a little bit differently because we we on a night to night basis we're seeing him do things when he's on that are just unbelievable. Um, and if you had to tell me right now that I had to pick a point guard that wasn't named Curry, uh, Paul, or Westbrook to lead my team, I'd probably pick Kyrie. Um, but I, you know, I think I wouldn't freak out either about the defensive stuff. I think he doesn't necessarily the Cavs as a whole don't need to play that hard all year. Like they're going to be nights where they they just they're they're like the late era Heat. Uh, LeBron Heat, where they can probably know that they're going to be fine when the playoffs come and that they don't need to push it. That being said, I think the thing you're saying about Kyrie being interested is sort of the interesting question here because if he really wants to, the regular season could be his showcase. I don't really think LeBron's going to be super engaged all season. I know he's the MVP betting favorite. I know that there are a lot of very smart people picking him, and he could win it. But I kind of don't know if he is going to be thinking in that regards all year. I mean, I don't think after last year and after what happened this summer with the Warriors that his primary goal is going to be to win MVP. He's going to take his time and kind of get to the the point he was last year and be ready for the playoffs. If that's the case and he plays, you know, 72 games, wrestle on a lot of back-to-backs and is letting Kyrie do more stuff – Kyrie Irving could have a star season. He could go from being a guy that uh, people criticize a lot to being a bona fide star. And he's only heading into his age 24 season. Um, and he's coming off a year last year where I think it's the, it was the worst version of Kyrie we've seen just because he was not himself for the 53 games he did play before he was a pretty great during the playoffs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and I just think... Um... You know, if, if he goes out and he wants to sort of show the world what he can do over the course of a season, great. Um, I think a lot of it is just also variance. You know, um, you know if he gets his, you know, I, I think for his career now, he's about 56% true shooting. Um, that's really good. 
Uh, you know, two seasons ago he was 58. Last year he was 54. Um, you know, if he, you know, turns in a, a, a season um, with a true shooting rate, you know, around 60, um, which I think is possible. I don't know that it's necessarily, um, you know, something that you'd look for. But if he gets back to that 58, 59, 60 range, um, I just think, I just, you know, and, and I've, I've written about this, but, you know, there's this bias sort of um, um, just aesthetically where people don't like to look at the ISO heavy basketball. Um, but, I mean, if you're just sort of like breaking it down as far as possible, if Kyrie Irving shoots a lot and he shoots efficiently and he doesn't turn the ball over very often, it's very difficult for that to be bad for an offense. No, I mean, you're, you're hundred percent correct. You know what I mean? Like I, yeah. I, I get, I get, you know, this, does he make his teammates better? It does not like, like, I, I don't mean to say it doesn't matter. Um, but it, it kind of doesn't. And then it, if you look at, um, you know, the offensive ratings of the team when he's on the, is good. And people are kind of like, you know, are the defensive ratings good? Not not all of the time, no, right? But, um, you know, people are surprised by that. And it's like, well, if you're using a third of the possessions and you're doing it at a very good rate, you'd think that that would be pretty good for an offense. Um, but for some reason, that doesn't always seem to get recognized. So um, I think he's a very similar player to, to Damian Lillard in a lot of ways. That's exactly where I was headed just because I don't actually think that there is a huge difference between him and Lillard at all. I think Lillard maybe has a better uh, functioning just sort of body language, and I think he gets perceived differently. But I think if tomorrow you threw Lowry, Lillard, Wall, and Kyrie in a hat, and I had to pick one out of a hat and said that guy is going to be my point guard next year, I actually don't think you could really go wrong with any of them. They all have their own kinks. They all have their own flaws. But it, I think there's this thing where we separate Kyrie or Pete. We, I shouldn't say we do this because we don't. But people separate Kyrie a little bit and kind of throw him on this island. I think similar to how people have thrown Melo on an island amongst his peers in the sense that he, because he plays a certain way and doesn't do things the way people expect him to do all the time, he gets lumped out of there when I think he's clearly their peer. It's clearly in that level and is clearly capable of exceeding all of them. Yeah, and, and you know, and... and... You know, not to sort of jump on Damian Lillard, um, maybe he could do it. But, you know, what Kyrie has going for him then, and again, you know, you want to talk about, well, but is Kyrie a, a team player? Does he make his teammates better? He, You literally have evidence of Kyrie fitting in with another star and winning an NBA championship. Um, like, he's done it. Now, does... You know, has he led to Kevin Love being maximized? I, I don't know. Probably not. But in terms of what you can do with Kyrie as a major part of an offense, he's won. And in terms of what you can do with Kyrie on the court, as far as defense goes, you can win a title. So yep. um, I'm, I'm guessing in the right situation, Damian Lillard could do that. Um, I'm guessing in the right situation, Kyle Lowry could do that. Um, but we have evidence of one and, and we don't have evidence of, of the others. Um, so I, 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 and I'm not really trying to use this to sort of say that Kyrie is definitively better than those guys, but, 
um, it is weird that, um, you know, people always say, yeah, well, what did Kyrie do before he had good players? <laughs> he was coached by Mike Brown, Byron Scott, and played with Dion Waiters. Right, and Andrew Bynum, and, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Earl Clark, but, baby. But, but turn it around and say, okay, well, I have evidence of Kyrie playing with a championship-level roster, and they won the championship. Yeah, it's like no crap. Now, 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 I get that LeBron is sort of a, a get-out-of-jail-free card, but um, LeBron's been on a lot of teams in his history, and, and he doesn't win the title every single year. Yeah, and I mean, it's like no crap you're going to become a better player and win more and look like you're doing better when you're playing with LeBron James as your small forward and Kevin Love as your power forward when you go from having like Earl Clark and um, just on a kid, like, the random dudes Kyrie played with the first couple of years, and when Anthony Bennett is a guy playing 20 minutes a game for your team. I mean, like, of course of course, he's, the team's going to play better when the best player in the world and maybe the best player ever is at small forward instead of a guy who was having problems keeping his foot in bounds when he was throwing uh, inbound passes at the end of games. I mean, like, literally, it's just these... It's just... It's crazy that you throw... It's like Kyrie wins and he hits that shot, and I and I know he wasn't perfect all year and all this stuff, but it's it's crazy to me that we have this thing where it's like, oh, he won, and we're gonna say that you haven't seen him lead a team that way because he's 24 years old and he's in a crap situation. I mean, he's looking at the ages of the guys he's compared with. Kyrie's tw- about to be 24 if he's not already 20. He is 24. Uh, John Wall is 26. Kyle Lowry is 30. Lillard is 26. And they all have been, in my, I mean, really, in my opinion, up until LeBron returned, in a lot more functional situations when they hit their peaks and when they were doing really, really well. Because, as you know from covering those teams, the pre-LeBron Cavs and even the early LeBron Cavs, because of everything that happened at times, were not exactly the most functional teams that were setting up a guy like Kyrie to grow and have this extreme amount of success. As much as a single player is the most important thing, a single great player is transcendent and is great and every team needs them, uh, you really can't take steps forward when you're that young and learning that much when you're playing for bad coaches and with bad teammates. I also, like, I think it's funny that, like, people are, like, using that time really even in a negative way for Kyrie, like... If you look at it, his rookie of the year campaign was one of the best rookie seasons in the history of the NBA. He did it with Antoine Jameson as his pick-and-roll partner. Uh, Year two, he made the All-Star game. Year three, he made the All-Star game. Uh, I I believe, right? I'm pretty sure that's how it went. And... Like people are like using that as like evidence to say he's not a good player. Like how does that like how does that work? Like uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I mean I it mean, shouldn't. I guess, right, and um, you know people want to look at, at team success, and that's fair um, to a certain extent, it, unless it's not. And um, you know it's it's one of those situations where it's almost like you know you're not you don't want to call people willfully ignorant, but you're just kind of saying. Well, what did he win before LeBron got there? Well, let's we could look a little bit closer at the situation. Uh, no, let's just look at what he did. Okay, well, then what are we here for? Um, and that that kind of becomes what it's about. Yeah, and I I'm 
I'm in the camp that I'm going to predict that Kyrie has a very, very big year this year. Um, I think he's due to have that really breakout year, and I think he's our. And I think the narrative is going to be that he is kind of going to come to his own this year. Although I think as we're kind of talking about here, he's already kind of there. Like Kyrie is not going to have if he when he is great this season, like I think he will be. I don't think it's going to be this thing where. Uh, he actually is breaking out. Like, I think it's just going to be an affirmation of everything we've seen. Are there kinks in his game? Yeah. Um, I think he does need to be better on defense, and I think that's actually a big perception thing with him. Um, and I think he has the capability to get there. I don't think he's ever going to be CP3, but, like, how many defensive point guards are on Chris Paul's level when they're defending other guys? I mean, he's going to be really great. He's going to have this big year. I think that's just where he's headed. Um, and I think that's a pretty big thing for the Cavs just because – it's going to allow LeBron to rest, and it's going to lessen some of the concerns that I think are fair to have about how the rest of the roster is going to work and how his backup situation is going to work because as much as he's going to be great, you Delhi was really, really important last year. He had a very defined role. He filled that role very well, and he really helped Kyrie through the regular season, and when Kyrie was out, Delhi was a big part of their success. And he's not there this year, and I think Kyrie having a big year where he's healthy and he becomes a little bit more efficient and he gets, like you said, up to 58% in true shooting again and turns the ball over less and is just playing with some effort on defense, maybe not every night because I kind of understand not trying to defend against the Nets or something, but if he's playing tough division games and he's trying on defense and he's containing Reggie Jackson and he's containing Jeff Teague, I'm good with that. And that would, to me, be a sign that he is on that path to really be the type of player I think we saw him be as a rookie. Yeah, and, and you know, it, it would be interesting to see what it would take um, for him to get some credit uh, defensively. I don't know if it would require sort of RPMs giving him love or, or something like that. Um, for me, you know, what I would look for, um, if he could somehow get his true shooting up to 60 um, and if he kept his turnover rate uh, below 10%, which is just insane anyway, um, but that's where he's been. And, you know, again, people want to talk about, you know, oh, how many assists does he have? Uh, compare his turnover rate to some of these other guys. You know, nobody ever really wants to do that. But, you know, if, if, if he gets his true shooting rate over 60 while keeping his turnover rate under 10 with, you know, usage around 26 to 30 percent um that type of offensive value is is so good and um you know maybe this is the year they figure out you know how how to make kevin love you know truly happy um but maybe this is just the year he becomes a you know second team all nba guy you know i don't know there is more to me queen eliara of Elfgard, than my elven magic just as there's more to Geico than saving you money, Geico also gives you 24-7 access to licensed agents online, on the phone, or on the Geico app. And while I am a mighty elf queen, I am also a mighty big fan of barbecue potato chips. Minions! More smoky mesquite. Geico. Expect great savings and a whole lot more. Um, and I don't know what they have behind him. Um... I don't really know anything about Kay Felder. Um, <laughs> you know, I and I don't think anybody else does. There, there seem to be a lot of Kay Felder fans. Um, but yeah. I don't... Um, I, good luck. I mean, sure, <laughs> like, great. <laughs> no, that, that's, that's been my reaction. Um, I hope so. I, 
we as a little plug at Fear the Sword right now, we're doing a Cavs rank, and he got votes way higher than I would have ever voted for him. Um, I'm a, I don't, I, I don't know if how much college basketball you watch. I don't know if we've actually ever talked about this, even though we literally <laughs> talk in chat every day. But I almost watch no college basketball, at least until March. I just don't have the time, and I don't really. I don't really believe that college basketball is that great to watch. Um, it's not, the aesthetic to me is just sort of meh. Like the big games, I'll watch if there's big prospects playing. I'll try to watch, but I would rather watch NBA ten out of ten times. And I don't, as a just a person with a life and other stuff going on, I don't have time. I didn't have time to watch Oakland University. Uh, there are tons of people on the basketball interwebs that do and have didn't have sung his praises. But he's an, un, an unproven rookie. He's coming in as a five nine rookie who didn't play at the highest level of college basketball. I think there's a lot of fair, uh, fair reasoning there to be skeptical of what he's going to be from day one. And I think maybe at the end, of, the goal for him maybe should be to be playable at the end of the year if and when Mo Williams' body keeps breaking down further. Yeah, and I could see him, you know, sort of, uh, you know, scoring points early on. You know, maybe he's sort of a Lester Hudson type. Uh, guy that can come in and kind of score a little bit. I, I don't necessarily know that, that translates into him being, you know, a super productive NBA player. We've seen Jordan McRae do that. Um, the extent of my K Felder knowledge is, um, uh, I have a buddy that I've that I've known for a very long time, and he watches a lot of NBA, and he's obsessed with, and and he works at uh, Michigan State, and he follows Michigan State basketball on a level that is very unhealthy. But um, he he texted me immediately after the Cavs drafted Felder and said that the last time that a, a point guard has ripped Michigan State the way that Kay Felder did, uh, it was Kyrie Irving at Duke. So um, he was a fan. That, that's, uh, that's a very, like... Uh... Without context of everything, that is like a very weighted. That is a very interesting thing to say about any yeah, player. Yeah, I mean, he was just kind of like you know, he he said you know, he basically was saying, I watch every single Michigan State game, and no point guard has impressed me uh, the way Felder did since since Kyrie Irving. So, um, you know, that being said, the guy's five foot eight. So, um, I don't know. Yes. Yeah. I, th- I think one of the most interesting questions about this Cavs team this year is how they approach the backup point guard position. Um, I don't necessarily think it's a, the, a deal breaker or a season breaker in any way. Um, I think I'd feel more comfortable if Adelie was there still, but I understand that why. I understand why he isn't. You know, I mean, I get the money thing, and I get you know, you get Mike Dunleavy. That's pretty good. Like if Mike Dunleavy's back is good, he's a super, super useful player on a team with LeBron James. Um, but I, I think this Cavs point guard thing, they can attack it from a bunch of different ways. Uh, for one, you could just straight up play Mo Williams if he doesn't retire, and we still don't know that, which I find sort of weird, considering we're so close to uh, the regular season and to training camp. Uh, you could you know, could develop Kay Felder and turn the job over to him in January if everything goes well. Um... Or, I think one of the weirder options is you could try to use Jordan McRae and Amon Shumpert on bench units with LeBron James um, as nominal point guards where they're spotting up and shooting, they're doing a little bit of creation, and they're defending ones, and it gives you some length and lets LeBron do what he does best, which is really kind of pull all the strings and set other guys up. I kind of like that last option a lot when the season starts to matter. 
uh, because it makes you longer. It means you could run a lineup of Shumpert, um, Dunleavy, Richard Jefferson, LeBron, and Channing Fry, and that would be a really, really good bench unit. But at the same time, I don't know if you use that all year. I don't know how much I love the idea of him on Shumpert or Jordan McGray dribbling a lot. Uh, someone into something more. I would like the idea of developing a guy like Kay Felder into someone who can play at least 10 minutes a night or something like that. And maybe Mo Williams' knees will hold up, but I kind of doubt that. Yeah, I think ultimately the Cavs sort of, my guess would be that they had sort of, they came to like two conclusions. And one of them I think is based on sort of conversations I've had with people that would make these sorts of decisions. But um, the first is that, you know, they, they watch, you know, the NBA finals and you don't, you can't make, you know, huge decisions based on it, but they ultimately know that the backup uh, point guard on the team in the Eastern conference finals in the finals is LeBron James. Um, And so, you know, the idea of of how much they're paying in luxury taxes and all that, the idea of paying a backup serious money um, when he may or may not have a, um, you know, sort of role when it really matters, um, I I could see that being a little distasteful. Um, That being said, Delhi is a good shooter, so he's not just a backup point guard. You can have him out on the floor. Um, But I see them kind of saying... Well, we can get, you know, another shooter in Mike Dunleavy at half the cost um, and let, you know, let Delhi go. And then the, the second part of it, and this one is, is maybe a little bit firmer ground, they are very, you know, the organization is very um, high on their own ability to sort of develop guys um, that can fill in. So... Um, I don't think they think Delhi did anything that Jordan McRae could not do, or that, um, or, or that maybe Kay Felder can't do. Now, um, I, I sort of disagree with that. I think you know a proven forty percent three point shooter in Delhi is sort of worth it. Um, but if they think that you know a camp invite or, or one of these you know minimum type guys can do it then you know more power to them and and i understand why they don't want to pay the, the serious money yeah and i think delhi basically was sort of a, a two with his time uh with the Cavs. i know he's listed as a point guard but he played a lot of off ball um the 40 percent shooting is big and i think just the intangibles of him being such a hard-nosed gritty player is just something you can't really throw onto basketballreference.com and you know quantify into a table i mean his willingness to just get in guys' grill and to just dive for balls and just be a very physical player to, and to the point where a lot of teams think he's dirty is just something you, that I just can't really picture Jordan McGray really doing. It just based on what we've seen, it's not really... It has to just be something you just do, and it, it's part of you, and I do, we just don't know if that's there. I guess Dunleavy would be the agitator on the team now, which is sort of funny. Um, yeah, I thought that Carter's piece, he sort of referenced that, and I, I had not thought about that, but it yeah. is... It yeah, was, I mean, it was, I remember thinking about that when they got him. I was like, oh, yeah, I remember when Giannis, like, clocked him or tackled him or whatever, like, two years ago in the playoffs, and it was... Because it was Dunleavy just annoyed him. Um, yeah. And he's that kind of guy. And, I, you know, Deli, I mean, is... He's not irreplaceable. I think he's is replaceable. I mean, 
it's it'd be crazy to say a guy that had a PR of eleven point three last year is irreplaceable. But what he did in terms of a fit is just so, was so perfect for that team and for what the Cavs have that I do think it is sort of going to be interesting to see how they actually try to replace that. Just because it isn't simple, but maybe and maybe McRae's the guy because I think, like you said, they are very big on trying to develop their own guys. Um, they also have Markel Brown and DeAndre Liggins on the roster for training camp, and both those guys do have potential, but you'd be asking a lot of them, I think, to leap to that level. But, hey, maybe they actually can do that, and maybe that is the unorthodox solution. But I also think it could still be possible in January or once the the season played out a little bit, they know what they have at least a little bit in Felder. They know what's up with Mo Williams and everything, that they could maybe get a guy like Chalmers or Norris Cole, or one of those veterans that are still out there just because they may decide that is the safest route for a team who really should be trying to do whatever they can to win another title next year, even if they're going to have to play a team that has four really absurd players on it. Yeah, and you know the counter-argument, too, is that the Cavs are going to be just rolling in money. So, um, you know, it's hard to say that they're cutting costs necessarily because they're still going to have a huge um you know luxury tax bill and all but, of that but it's like way way lower this year than but, it was this past year at least est- estimated it's supposed to be lower right and at the same time you know they have corporate sponsorship deals and um you know i think they're doing fine dan gilbert is also very rich <laughs> right and the day, gilbert is rich and he's been he's been willing to spend money up until this point correct so, so David, to kind of wrap things up a little bit, let's just I'm gonna ask you a couple quick questions and uh, to make you a couple uh, predictions that based on kind of what we've talked about, and we'll see uh, how it ends up going. Uh, okay. First, Kyrie Irving, uh, he is an All Star starter, yes or no? Uh, yes. Uh, Kay Felder plays in over 41 games. Yes. Kyrie Irving averages uh, more than. 25 points a game. No. Uh, Mo Williams is on the team at the end of the year. Oh, that's tough. Um, his contract will be on the books at the end of the year. Yes. That, that is a very sneaky way of answering that, and I appreciate I appreciate it. Um, the last thing I have is, at the end, and this is just a, a broader question that maybe isn't a yes or a no, but at the end of the year, has Kyrie Irving uh, separated himself from the rest of the pack of point guards that he's sort of lumped in with now? Uh, no. Yeah, I, not, I, not by reputation, anyway. Yeah, I'd, I would agree with that. I think the, the conversation will start to happen, but I think that's uh, sort of where I with that. But, David, uh, thanks again for coming on. Uh, where can uh, people find you on the interwebs? Uh, anything at Fear the Sword, um, as well as uh, at David Zavak, uh, Z-A-V-A-C. Uh, so and you can always find me on Twitter at CWM Rights. Uh, you can, again, you should go check out for the sword. Um, I'm totally biased in saying this, but I, I'm right. Uh, we're the best Cavs blog on the internet. Uh, we have a ton of really good stuff coming up. We have Cavs ranks still going on. Um, we're getting close to training camp, which is going to be cool. I will be at training camp uh, or media day, which is going to be cool to talk to some of the players. Maybe Jr. will be signed by then. Um, but you know, we have a lot of good stuff going on. We just added another writer. Um, and I think things are going pretty well for us over there. We have just some stuff in the pipeline that I'm excited about, and our whole staff has been great all summer about just getting a ton of content up. 
Um, they deserve a huge pat on the back and just a huge shout-out uh, for doing that because, as David knows, it's really, really hard to write about stuff about an NBA team in the middle of August when nothing is going on. So shout-out to the Fear of the Sword staff. Check out all of our stuff. Um, again, if you like this show, please give us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps other people find the show. Um, we'll be back tomorrow to talk shooting guards. And, yes, we'll be talking J.R. Smith because he's the best shooting guard in the Cavs, even if he's technically not on the team yet. Uh, with Daniel Rao from Fear the Sword and Hardware Proxies. Uh, so we'll talk to you guys then. Thanks for listening. 